Happy Father's Day to all the dads, grandfathers, great-grandfathers. We appreciate and honor you today. As you leave today, uh, dads, there's a table out in the vestibule, and there's gifts awaiting you, uh, even different kinds of gifts. So just pick what you want, amen? And we want to bless you with that today just to honor you. You know, that's why Jesus came, and that was the the most strangest revelation to the Jewish people was that Jesus came to reveal the Father to them. They knew him as Elohim, as God. They knew him as Yahweh God, but they had never known him as Abba, as Father. And Jesus came to not just talk about the Father, but to demonstrate the Father. They asked Jesus one time, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you that you've not seen him? For when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The New Testament says that he is the exact representation of the invisible God, of the Father. Jesus put a face on God. He put arms and legs and hands on God. And so anything that you ever think that you know or believe about God that you can't validate or prove in the life of Jesus Christ when he walked the earth, you need to question that in your heart. You're not a disciple of Job. Job's in the Bible. Okay? But you're not a disciple of Job. You're a disciple of Jesus. And so you have to, every book, everything you read has to be read through the lens of the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ or you're going to get really confused. Even reading your Bible will confuse you if you don't read it through the proper lens. When you're reading the New Testament, if you think it starts in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, you're going to be very confused. Because the New Testament is the, the last will and testament of Jesus. And it doesn't begin until he is resurrected. That's when your New Testament begins. That's when the New Covenant begins. Amen? And uh, those things are just important. Have nothing to do with what I'm preaching, but hey. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read these and let you be seated. Verse 11, 12, and 13 is what we're going to read. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus by the Holy Spirit, says, And he himself gave some to be apostles. Now, who is the he here? It's Jesus. These are sometimes referred to as ascension gifts. It says, when he, after he had descended, then he ascended. And he gave gifts unto men. These are ascension gifts, as they're called sometimes. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. A lot of people refer to this as the fivefold. Uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Uh, it's not the smorgasbord, pick what you want, throw the rest away. Uh, some people believe that we got teachers and pastors, but they don't believe in the other three or some don't believe that there's apostles today or prophets today, but they're all five available to us through the body. And they're here for the equipping of the saints. The Bible always calls you saints. It doesn't never call you sinners. Once you're born again, you're never referred to by the scripture as a sinner. So don't ever quote that old church saying, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You was that but that's not what you are now or who you are now. 
And you are a saint for the equipping of the saints for what? For the work of ministry. Ministry is work. Amen? Notice how quiet it was on that part. Nobody said amen. And I'm not talking about preachers and five-fold people only. I'm talking about that we are all, the Bible said, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So you are all in the ministry. Look over at the person beside you. Tell them I'm in the ministry. All right, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, what does that mean? Building up of the body of Christ. How many knows that you're not the body of Christ by yourself? You might be an ear, Paul said, or an eye, or a finger, or a hand, or a foot, but you're not the whole body, right? So if you see a finger just laying over there, it's not connected to the body, is it? You're not the church by yourself. You are part of the church, but you're the church corporately. You're the body of Christ. He is the head. I'll be glad when our body gets in the same shape as the head is. Huh? Till we all come to the unity. That's what I want to talk about today. The title is Unity, Not Uniformity. And to the unity of the what, though? The unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, listen to this, to a what kind of man? You know, the church loves this saying, and they post it all the time on Facebook and everywhere. They post it, you know, you know, church is, you know, a, a perfect place for imperfect people. And I'm not against all that. I understand, I think I understand what they mean. But one of the biggest responses I got to an article or a blog that I put out a year or so ago was, was good people don't go to heaven, only perfect people go to heaven. Whew, here they come. This, the New Testament is so clear that only perfect people are going to heaven. You have been made perfect by a perfect sacrifice. He has perfected forever, it says, Paul said, those that are in Christ. You've been perfected. So in your spirit, you are perfect. You're just like Christ because Christ dwells in you. Would Christ live in an imperfect vessel? No. So God, Christ, lives in your perfect spirit. Your spirit's perfect. Now, you and I don't manifest that perfection we admit that. I'm, I admit that. But we can, do, we can manifest more of that perfection that he did on the That's why you were born again. You didn't get you know, a paint job. You, you got made a new creation. And so this is God's goal to a perfect man. He said those Old Testament sacrifices were never able to make the offerers perfect. God's agenda has always been to perfect you. To a perfect man. How perfect? What, what kind of man? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God says, that's what I want right there. Amen? And so he gave this, these, these gifts, the gifts, the ascension gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He gave these gifts for this work. In other words, I'm a gift to you. You're welcome. <laughs> and you're a gift to me. Oh, come on, y'all smile. Y'all too uptight. I remember one time, y'all be see, let me talk a minute. I remember one time, uh, one of my friends, this is many years ago, this actually happened, I'm not making this up, but uh, we, we would go to these conferences and, and Morningstar conferences and these different conferences, and a guy came to one of the conferences wearing a cape, which that wasn't like super weird, but on the back of the cape, he had, he had the, you know, like big letters starting each word. He had A, you know, apostle, and then he had prophet, then he had evangelist, and he had really capitalized and made the, you know, the, the first letter of each word, you know, real huge. And from a distance, all you could see was ape, 
you know. <laughs> and he was saying that he was all three of those, you know. And I've seen people claim to have all of those. The only person that ever was an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher wrapped up one was Jesus. And Jesus divested himself as he ascended. And he gave gifts unto men. And those gifts, the, you know, the only re- part of the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing is to help by the Spirit to, to equip the saints to equip you. This is an equipping time for the work of the ministry. And, 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 and that's why God called this. And what, one of the things that you hear so much now, and I want to just really, you know, uh, what, what a blessing, uh, you know, out of Pastor Johanna's heart, the unity and transformation uh, movement, the, the, the meeting that happened at the courthouse uh, Friday night. And, and, you know, and I, one time she was just standing there weeping, you know, and I said, you know, I just hugged her. And, and I, you know, I said, this is so many more people, you know, maybe than you thought, right, that, would, that was there. We had people, drove, you know, drove from other cities and towns to, to participate. And it was just, you know, just that kind of turnout just showed that that's on the heart of people. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, everybody, God call, calls everybody, you know, like we talked about last Sunday, you know, what is it, you know, what is it that makes you, like Nehemiah, weep when you hear that negative news? Or what is it that, like, the injustice that makes you angry, like Moses saw the Egyptian beating up on a Hebrew slave and he didn't respond correctly, he murdered him. I mean, that's not what we do as believers, right? But it's okay to be angry. The Bible doesn't tell you not to be angry. It says be angry and sin not. It actually tells you to be angry. If something don't make you cry and make you angry, then you're dead. There's got to be things that make you angry. Injustices, things that are not right, that are not kingdom. But you, you don't react to it. You respond by the, by the kingdom of God. And uh, so I, I just wanted to just go after that one target this morning. Because this word is being used so much right now in the media and social media and, and people are talking about unity. And, and a lot of times what they're talking about unity is not necessarily what the Bible is talking about when it says unity. But God's for unity big time. But he's not for uniformity. Now, a lot of us, if you're like, you know, people are different. <clears throat> I worked 20 years as in the emergency medical service uh, as a paramedic and, and, and it's somewhat uh, military type, in other words, we wore uniforms, and we we all dressed alike, and that's what a uniform is. We're all uni. You, how many those? How many wheels a unicycle has? So you don't wear your own uniform. Well, I worked for Tiff County, and you, you we all wore the same uniform. We all wore the same type of shoes. We all dressed the same, and 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 we, and that was that's uniformity. Everybody's expected to be the same, look the same. Uh, really behave the same. And, and, and that works good in that kind of setting. I'm not saying that's wrong. But, you know, I, I was reading, and this is a while back, a little first grader. And I remember I was, I was in, the, in the school system in the 60s when in, the schools became integrated. And a lot of you may remember. How many remember that when, where you, you know, if you're old as me, you can remember when that, when that happened. And a little uh, first grader. Uh, she went to school. This was her first day at school. And even back in those days, hardly no kids, if they even had it, I don't even hardly remember how we didn't do it. Uh, they didn't have kindergarten. 
You know, now it's like a mandatory thing. But back then, you, you just went, you know, you just went from home to the first grade. And uh, this little first grader, she went to school on the first day to a, a newly uh, integrated school. This was right at the height of segregation. And, and so her mother, you know, obviously was anxious about that. And so she sends her to school and, uh, you know, just thinking about her all day. And, and so as soon as she goes to pick her up, you know, she asks her, you know, but baby, how did it go today? And she said, oh, mommy, the teacher set me right beside a little white girl. And she said, well, how, how, you know, how was it? How, how was it? And she said, we were, we were so scared that we held hands all day. Isn't that sweet? And, uh, you know, young children like that, you, you ever notice how little kids are not racist and prejudiced? You ever notice that? When you get them little ones like that, little preschoolers especially, they ain't like that. They, they have a God-given ability to see past how they are different, and, and they allow the ways that they are the same to draw them together. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, you know, unfortunately, as we get older, though, and mature into adult society trains you and teaches you otherwise. It trains you that some people, you know, they don't fit the mold. They don't fit the pattern, you know. They don't, you know. And so you're to, they're to be ostracized and pushed away and marginalized. And, and, and uniformity is a prized commodity. Uh, and diversity is avoided by a lot of people unless you're talking about your financial portfolio. You know, and, and when and when you when you when that's when that's communicated by actions or words to kids, then what it does, if that if that child doesn't feel like that they fit the pattern, then they tend to think of themselves as inferior, and 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 they think that they are of less value, and if they think they are of less value and inferior, then they feel like they've got less to contribute and they've got less of a future in front of them. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. How, how you perceive and how you think, and, and, and then there's children that feel like that they fit the mold, that they fit the pattern, and they tend to feel like, well, they're superior. And that's the whole foundation and the root of racism. I'm better than you. I'm superior than you. And, um, and, and, and this, this is, there, so many times in history we've seen that. In other words, we've seen men who have came up with their own idea of what the perfect pattern for humans was. And, it, and when I said that, you got to think of this one dude, Hitler, right? I mean, that was, that was the whole thing behind the Aryan race that he said that this is the only race that deserves to live, and he began to, uh, to eliminate, to exterminate. Particularly the Jewish people was his main target, but that wasn't his only race that he was targeting. And, and, and that belief system that he came up with, uh, demonically inspired, obviously, but that, that system created the most uh, atrocities that this world's hardly never seen before or since. And, and, you know, what he was saying, we want everybody to be the same, we want everybody to look alike, and uh, we, want, we want uniformity. But that's not what God does. I mean, and I could spend this, you know... You, and you already know this, so I'm, not, I'm just going to hit it and move. But all you got to do is look at what God has created. Everything God's created is, is really a reflection of God. Now, you and I are created in the image and in the likeness of God, right? And God is, let me tell you what this, God is not a man. 
There's a verse that said, God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man. See, some of you don't even know to say amen on that, so I'm going to have to take a drink on that. You're like, I thought he was a man. The Bible tells you what he is. It says, God is a spirit. And them that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. God manifested himself as a man, but God is not a man. God is not a woman. But a woman represents God just as much as a man represents God. And in fact, when God created Adam, he didn't create Adam and Eve. He created Adam. He called them Adam. He said them, Adam. And he reached inside Adam and he pulled out woman. You can't pull out what wasn't in there. Now, I know some of you hung up on the rib kind of deal. That's just because you're hungry and want me to hurry up and get through for you. But a woman reflects God. Nature, it's Romans says, we, we understand God through the things which he has made. So when you look at everything, in other words, you know, go back to man and woman, there's no two people ever created exactly alike. DNA proves that. Now, that's why you can, DNA, you're, you, you were there. You did it. It used to be just be the fingerprint thing. But we're all, we're all different. I mean, it's one of the most amazing, amazing things. We don't, we don't deal with it much here, hardly ever. But, you know, no two snowflakes, they say, are exactly the same. And the diversity of God and, and, all, and, and the creativity of God is just all seen in everything that he's made. And so uh, God created a community. And that's what really a church is and the ecclesia, the called out ones. And, and it's a unified body of individuals that have a common uh, history and a common interest. And that's what makes us a com community. Unity is in community, right? Common unity, community. We have community groups. We've been hindered by this virus and all this stuff. But we call our, our groups that meet on, most of them meet on Wednesday night, uh, community groups because that's what we're we're part of a community and we do have we have a common history that makes us unified and we have a common interest well what's the common history for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God for all of us like sheep have gone astray that's our common history we have all come out of darkness and into his marvelous light we, 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 we've all come from that, and that's our com we, that we, have, we have that in common. We have a common history, and we have a common interest in a word, Jesus. Jesus is the interest. Jesus is what brings us together. So when we talk about unity, we're not talking about, uh, you know, uh, a movement or a march of a, of a cause. There, you know, anybody can grab a cause. And I'm not saying the cause is wrong, but I've seen people with save the seal bumper sticker on this side and pro-abortion on this side of the bumper. Don't care about the babies, but save the seals. Or let's save the spotted owl up in the northwest. See, it's not unusual for people to get caught up in a cause. Everybody's got something that's, that's you know, precious to them. I mean, it's a cause, you know. I mean, you know, shoot a human, it don't mean anything. You kill a dog, man, well, you know, they want to, they now they want to shoot you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody's got something that, you know, like pushes their buttons or they, they have a call. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what brings the real unity that God's talking about is Jesus. He's, he's, he's the difference. And so, so uh, Jesus is building by the spirit of faith community. He said to the unity, to we all come to the unity of the faith. 
And, and that includes people getting together like that are sitting in this building who otherwise would have never got together. You are sitting in a building with people that if it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't be sitting with. Some of you are married to somebody, but if it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't still be married to. <laughs> Y'all come on now. A community, listen, that is built with beautiful, unified difference. Unified difference. And, 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 and you know, man, I, I'm, I'm glad to be part. And, again, you know, I, 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 what, two Sundays ago I preached on def, uh, defeating racism was the title. Um, last Sunday I preached on separation nation. Don't let things separate us. And today I'm talking about unity, not uniformity. Do you understand that I'm trying to address what's going on in the world? I'm not trying to just glibly go on like there ain't nothing happening. Because we're supposed to have a response. We're supposed to have an answer to all this going on. Um, and, and so Jesus is building a different community. We're, we're to model something here. And, and, you know, and it's not just when we corporately gather. I'm, you know, I mean, it's our life, how we, the things we do, the things we don't do. You know, we, we, we're, to, we're to not only just speak a word answer, but to be the answer. You understand that the Bible says we're all citizens of heaven. <laughs> it's like you say in the old church, this world ain't my home. I'm just passing through. <laughs> That's the truth. We, we are in, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, I don't understand that. Well, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to believe it. But see, Jesus says that, that, that I'm building a house. So he, the church is referred to as, as a house, the king, built of living stones. And, and the main characteristic of this community that you and I find ourselves in is joy. Just say joy. Joy. And, and, and Jesus says that he, that he is building a community that celebrates, that celebrates, now listen, the repentance of sinners more than we celebrate the righteous people who don't need to repent. Now, you have to keep in mind the word repent don't mean what most church folks have grown up thinking it means. We think re repent means to, you know, be sorry for the, whatever you've done. But the word repent is the Greek word metanoia, is translated repent in your Bible. And when it says Jesus said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he wasn't saying get on your knees and tell me how sorry you are for being a bad person. The word repent, metanoia, means change your mind. Think differently. That's exactly what it means. It don't mean that in the church in America. You know, repent. You know, they mean fall on your face and cry and tell God you're sorry for your sin. God's not worried about your sin. He already took care of that. Now, that, that, now, that's strange news to some people in the church because they think God, I, I, I got a, uh, he, he's probably listening right now. Hello, Amarillo, Texas, uh, precious uh, friend of mine. But, uh, uh, but he, he, he uh, emailed me over the weekend, and he was telling me he went to a church. They're still trying to find a church in Amarillo that preaches the grace of God. Come on, Amarillo, you're better than that. Raise up a preacher out there to preach grace. But he went to a church, and, and the pastor was talking about, you know, you know, 
all the things that were going on. But he said, Jesus is on the cross right now dealing with our sins. And the guy said, I checked that church off. I won't be going back there again. Because Jesus is not on the cross. And Jesus is not dealing with your sin. Jesus, when he get, was about to get off the cross, said, it is finished. He didn't say, it's almost finished, and y'all finish it up for me. It is finished. The Bible said that he came to take away the sin of the world. Now, either he did or he didn't. And if he didn't, he got to come back and finish it. That means he lied when he said it's finished. See how it dismantles all your religion. The church, I know I've talked and preached and blogged about all this stuff, but, but, you know, we forget stuff. The word sin, mainly in the New Testament Bible, is not something you do. Oh, I stole that. I sinned. No. The word sin is a noun. You remember a noun from school, right? Person, place, or thing. When it says that he came to take away the sin of the world, he wasn't saying that he came away to take away the actions. He was taking away the entity of sin. You understand that sin is personified. The first person that ever said sin out of his mouth was God. And he was talking to a murderer. Cain murdered Abel. God uses the word sin for the first time in your Bible and he, and he personifies it in the personal sense of he, calls it he, and him, and he lieth at the door. He desires to have you. God personified sin, and, and God used it in that context. And the first time it was used, it was used as a noun, not as a verb. The most New Testament book that uses the word sin more than any other book is the book of Romans. 39 times you'll find the word sin. Only one time in the whole book of Romans is that sin a verb. Every other time, it's a noun. When it says that he became sin, Jesus, he, he became sin. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't come a verb. He became the entity. He became sin. He became sin. And he took away the sin of those who cried out and confessed their sins, those who repented of their sins. No, he, he took away the sin of the what? Y'all just help me preach now. He, he, behold the Lamb of God, John said, that taketh away the sin, noun, of the whole world. Did he take it away? I've told you this before. It's the best example I can give you to help you visualize it. But in the morning at my house, some amazing men will show up. They're faithful. They come, and I don't even know their name. And I take all of my trash and rubbish and put it by this curb, and they take it away. They have never one time brought it back. <laughs> it's a great deal, man. I mean, sometimes that trash can smells so bad in the summer and the heat, you know. Mm, just leave it there. They take it away. They, t they empty it out, and they, there they go. That's my trash. They took it away. And they never come and talk to me about it. I said, listen, man, your trash was pretty trashy. You're going to do something about that smell. <laughs> they've never sent me. They've never communicated. They just took it away. Jesus came. He took it away. He took it away. That's why God is not angry with anybody today. Oh, now here goes the grace preacher. 
It's the truth. It's called the truth that will make you mad. I mean, set you free. It's the truth. God's not angry. So any preacher or anybody who ignorantly or intentionally, I used to do it ignorantly. I've been preaching 34 years. There was a time when I was pastoring that I instructed my staff to throw away cassettes. Anybody remember cassettes? I said throw away all my cassettes because they were saving them from when I first started the church in Sparks. In uh, March 10th, 91, I started Cornerstone Church. And after a few years, I said, I don't even believe what I preached three years ago. Throw them away. Come on, y'all looking at me straight. I'm not talking about a new way to get saved. I'm not talking about all that. I'm just talking about all that legalism and mixture and, and you know, and, you know, he took it away, but he didn't take it away. God loves you, but he's angry with you. That God sits in a swivel chair. You need to do something to get back right with God. All these stuff, these little churchy sayings that have no biblical basis. That's why I wrote a book called Exposing Myths Heard in Church. Not heard out there in the bar. Heard in church. This is where I heard it. Or you're out of fellowship with God. You need to pray, brother, to get closer to the Lord. You can't get closer to the Lord. If you're born again, you're close as you're ever going to be. You don't do nothing to get close to God. You couldn't do nothing to get close to God, and you can't do nothing to stay close to God. Because what is it that Paul said in Ephesians that made you close to God? The blood of Jesus. You who were far off, you, heard, you who were, were without God, without hope in this present world, you who were strangers outside of the commonwealth of Israel, you who were lost in this world without God, you, you were far off, but now you have been made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if the blood made you nigh, what's going to make you unnigh? <laughs> I know it ain't a word. Don't send me nothing. What's, you, see, listen, I understand you don't feel close. I don't either. I was in the business the last week, and something come up about this, and I, I, I just said out, I, you know, it's one of, I've said it a lot over the years. You know, I just said some mornings I wake up, I don't even feel saved. I don't wake up speaking in tongues. Some days I wake up and go, hallelujah, it's morning. And some days I go, God, is it morning already? <laughs> oh, come on. You don't look at me like that. You don't wake up, you know. Like, you did, I mean, I don't go by how I feel. You go by what you know, or rather whom you know. Listen, every attack, listen, every attack of the enemy will come from two directions. One of the two things, and this is it. This explains every attack from the adversary. He will, call, he will attack you to get you, hath God said. He questions what God has said in the Bible and in your life. He'll either do that or he'll question who you are in Christ. If you are the son of God. That's, the, that's what he did to Jesus. If you are, if you are, I'm not sure you are, but if you are the son of God, then why are you in the desert? Why are you in the wilderness? Why have you been 40 days without even a biscuit? Where's he at? Look like to me, he has forsaken you. If you are his son, why are you? Why is your light bill behind? Why is your car messed up? Why did they lay you off on your job? If you are a Christian, I thought God was supposed to help you. If you are, apparently, apparently he's not good like y'all sing about on Sunday. You know, he's a good, good father because now you're doing without. 
I thought he was a good daddy. Even your natural daddy would be better than this. See how the enemy talks to you? If you are the son of God, Jesus is like, man, you was at my baptism service. You heard my daddy speak audibly from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You need to know the same thing because either you're a son and daughter of God or you're not. And if you are a son or daughter of God, the same thing that he said concerning Jesus, he says concerning you. You are my son. I do love you. And guess what? Stop trying to please me. I'm already pleased. We got people just spending their Christian life. I just want to please the Lord, Brother Dale. <laughs> you do? What could you do that would please the Lord? What benevolent act would you do? What sacrifice would you give? What would you do that you think would bring pleasure to the Lord? You know what pleases the Lord? Jesus. That's why he put Christ in you. So he could treat you like Jesus. Stop trying to please God and just please the Lord. Be ple you know, when, you, when, when your wife gives birth to your kid, that kid don't have to do anything to please you. You're pleased because that's your kid. You just look at him and smile. That's you're pleased. You're a father. Are y'all getting this? See, that's why in the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel and Isaiah both talked about it, this coming new covenant. God began to shoot glimpses of it to them, and they would prophesy about it. One of the prophets said it's like this. He said, God was talking through the prophet, and he said, you know, this is such a big deal. This is like the waters of Noah to me. How many knows the Noah and the flood deal? That's a really big deal. That was a worldwide event. God says this is like the waters of Noah to me. He said, as I made a covenant with Noah that I would never again flood the, the earth with water, he said, there's a new covenant. And when this new covenant comes, he said, I will never, ever be angry with you again nor shall I ever remove my kindness from thee. Has the new covenant came? Then that prophet either lied or he didn't lie. And if he didn't lie, that means God said, I will never be angry with you again. You ever seen a preacher or somebody try to tell you God's angry? God's angry with America. He's mad about all the homosexuals. And he's mad about all this. That's why he sent Katrina in there to clean up New Orleans, call all the strip clubs. And that's why they had an earthquake out there in, in San Andreas Fault in California because all the porn that comes out of there. Oh, so God, God's about to do something. Oh, he's about to. Why are you waiting now then? Did he just wake up? Has God been asleep? So God hadn't done nothing about sin, but all of a sudden now he's going to judge sin. He's going to judge it now. Oh, he didn't? I thought the Bible said he judged it through Jesus on the cross. I thought Jesus bore the judgment of God and the wrath of God was poured out upon him. That's what I read. So why all of a sudden is he going, either he's dealt with it or he hadn't. And if Jesus paid the price from sin, then what are we talking about? Are you saying that just sin willy-nilly, sin? No. Tater head. I'm telling you to stop focusing on sin and start focusing on Jesus. Listen, I understand the Bible still, and men still sin, and Christians still sin. I don't have it on the calendar for tomorrow, but I'm liable to. 
not put it on the calendar, I'm liable to sin tomorrow. If somebody cuts me off while I'm driving, I tend to turn into a non-Christian for a moment in my thoughts towards them. I know you, I know you better than me. I'm, just pray. I'm trying to get where you are. I'm telling you guys, please understand that the sin issue's been dealt with. And this is, this is the good news. You know, when, when, when Jesus was being born in Bethlehem, and we don't talk about it except at Christmas, but when those shepherds were abiding in the fields watching over their flock by night, and that angelic host appeared and said, Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's not a Christmas card. It's not wrong to have it on one. That's not the purpose. God was saying, I'm bringing peace. Now, has there been peace on earth since that night? No. Nations fought and men have killed. and there's not, That's not what he was talking about. You know what he was talking about? He wasn't talking about peace between men. He was says peace between God and men. God said, this little baby that's being born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, this bread that I'm delivering, this is it. The enmity that's been between God, me, and man, you, is ending. And I say peace. No more wrath. No more anger. There's consequences, huge, horrible, terrible consequences when you sin and I sin. And both a sinner and a saint are capable of sinning. A saint is not as good at it as they used to be. I'm still capable of sinning, but because I'm still capable of something don't mean that's what I am. I'm a saint. And you have to identify your identity and think in that term or you will always, you, you'll yield yourself to things that are no longer true for you. God's not angry. He's not angry with the world. And it don't matter how many times hurricanes, tornadoes, all these kind of things happen. Everybody blames God, act of God, blah, blah. And, all, and it's just, it breaks my heart. So how many years I got left on this planet, I'm going to spend it talking and preaching and declaring the grace of God. Now, amen, amen. And, 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 and so God's not angry. It's not, it's, that doesn't mean God's not concerned. It doesn't mean that God, listen, but God is saying that's not the issue. The issue is not sin. You couldn't deal with the issue of sin. That's why I had to send my son. So he came. He dealt with sin. He became sin. And he removed sin. And he took away the sin of the world. Now, if Jesus paid the price for sin, now see, and then we get into all that, well, it's not, you know, even for sin I hadn't committed yet. Yeah. Sin, noun, all sin. If Jesus didn't deal with future sin, everybody in this room's lost. Because it's been a little over 2,000 years ago when he dealt with it. So if God don't believe in dealing with future sin, then we all, we all lost. Because he ain't dealt with ours yet. No, he dealt with all of it. You understand, you, you and I live in a time zone, time. God don't. God lives in eternity. He don't wear a watch. God don't wear a watch. See, what makes eternity eternity is you just remove time. Once you remove time, then all you're left with is eternity. See, I'm talking like I understand that. See, cancer can't kill anybody unless it had time on its side. Just cancer by itself, it can't kill nobody. 
no matter what kind of cancer it is, it has to have that other commodity called time. The Bible says there's going to be an angel one day put one foot on one land, one on sea, and says time shall be no more. It's all be over. And we're going to go back to like it was before. God created time as a temporary interruption in eternity for man to be redeemed. Amen? That's why you won't get old. You can't get old unless you're wearing a watch. It's that watch that makes you grow old. Y'all okay today? Uh, so God's not angry. It doesn't mean God don't care. But the problem is not sin because Jesus dealt with it. The problem is unbelief. And that's why it's such good news that God's already forgiven everybody because God don't have to have your permission to forgive you. He took it upon himself to forgive the world of all sin. He became that sin. He bore the wrath and the punishment of sin and the justice of that sin called for. Amen. And now all you have to do is put your faith in that person that did that for you on your behalf and in your stead. Jesus not only died for you, he died as you. He died as you. And that is, that is strange news to a lot of Christians. And so he bore the penalty, he bore the price, he paid for sin. You put your faith and trust in him and in that sacrifice. And it is that sacrifice that has brought you close to God. I understand. And I do. I'm like you. I think I feel closer to God. And I'll use that terminology that the church loves. I feel closer to God. I wish somebody would have preached this to me when I was in my 20s because I spent decades fasting and praying to get close to God. I missed a lot of good meals. Sister Jill's a good cook. In other words, I was burning those meals on something. You know, I, I would fast and pray for the mind of Christ. Nobody ever told me that we had it. Paul did. I read it. I didn't believe it. Paul didn't say pray for the mind of Christ. He says we have the mind of Christ. When did you get it? When you got born again. It's part of the equipment. It's like a steering wheel that comes with the car. <laughs> Amen. It comes with the car. It comes with being born again. I used to seek to be righteous. Righteousness, the Bible said in Romans, is a gift. The gift of righteousness. And he, Paul said it's a revelation about that gift. The revelation of the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. You're as righteous right now as a born-again believer as you will ever be. You're not displaying all the righteousness that you're capable of displaying to the world. But as far as who you are, you are as righteous as you'll ever be. Because you have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. You have been made perfect by a perfect sacrifice. I wish somebody told me that. I tried to be holy, live holy, get holy. And I, I, somebody didn't point out to me in Ephesians that, that, that Paul said that, that when we've been born again, you've been born in true righteousness and true holiness. He said you were created in the image of God. Listen to this one. Pound for pound, molecule for molecule in your spirit, you are exactly like Jesus. You are as righteous as Jesus is. There's no difference. Because Christ dwells in you. Where? In your spirit. Now your soul, your mind, your will, your emotion, it's not perfect. That's why you have those bad, nasty thoughts. 
See, if you understand about the triunity of man, that, uh, you know, that you're, God's one God, but he's manifested in three persons, namely Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you're, you're one person, but you're really three. You're, you're spirit, soul, and body. The New Testament teaches that. I never knew that. I thought spirit and soul were the same for a long time when I was first saved. Paul said, I want your, your spirit, soul, and body preserved. God's working on all of that part that's maturing is not your spirit. You don't grow in your spirit. God put it in. God put everything that you need. The, the, you know, what the, Paul said, you know, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing already. So if you've been already been blessed in Christ Jesus, you, you have every spiritual blessing. What are you seeking him? And where is the blessing? It's in your spirit. God put it there. You, 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 he didn't put any. The Bible says you have the, you have the fullness of God in Christ. You have received the fullness of God, not the halfness, not the one-quarterness, not a smidgen of God. You know, more, Lord, more of you. I, well, that's, that's not evil if you know you'd have to tweak it a bit. You can't get any more of God than you already have. That's why in, one of my, in that book I put one of the chapters was the myth of more. Christians love to seek stuff that they already have. It keeps them busy. They're just waiting on the rapture. The myth of more. You can't get any more of God. You can manifest more. You understand the difference? You can display more. But you can't get anymore. God didn't shortchange you. God didn't give one person 70% and this other person 90%. And no, you, you, you have been gifted the fullness of God because Christ dwelleth in you. Christ dwelleth in you. Christ dwelleth in you. You've got the full, you don't have the arm of Christ. You, you, got, you, you got the fullness of God in Christ. The full measure, it says. And so... Nobody told me I had the mind of Christ. Now I have the mind of Christ. I told you as a pastor and a preacher and an evangelist, I used to fast and pray weekly for the anointing to come. I would fast and pray and beg God, plead with God for the anointing. I thought it was something that he arbitrarily like a bucket. He just, well, I just poured out on Dale today. I said, man, the anointing was strong today, brother. And then like, Man, the anointing wasn't here today. Like digging ditches with teaspoons. It was rough in there. <laughs> My granddaddy was a preacher. He, that's what he used to say to him. You know, he said, man, preaching without the anointing is like digging ditches with teaspoons. I didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't know he had the anointing. Because How can you not have the anointing when Paul said over and over in the New Testament, three different places, he says, you have the anointing. You already have the anointing. You can't get more anointed. Anointed is anointed. Period. You can display more of the anointing. So this is how I pray every Sunday morning before I come see y'all. Father, I used to beg, oh, God, please, ah, let the anointing come today. Oh, Lord, please anoint me today. Please, when I stand up there, please, 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 please anoint me. Not quite that dramatic, but... I'm trying to emphasize a point here. <laughs> I don't pray for the anointing ever anymore. Do I, I don't waste any time praying for them. I don't waste time praying to get close to God. I don't waste time praying to please God. I don't waste time 
talking to God and, and, and bemoaning my sin. Now, my sin, oh, God, please forgive me. I'll already forgive you, son. And that's okay. God, your daddy, he loves you. If you want to talk to him about your sin, talk to him about it. But don't waller in it. The Bible addresses sin. Lay aside every sin. You ever read that verse? Lay aside all the sin. He's talking to Christians, by the way. Lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily hinders you. Comma. Next verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So how do I lay aside sin? How do I overcome sin? How do I break this addiction? How do I break this habit of sin? How do I? Looking unto Jesus. I told you making sin to focus, you need to, is like trying to, you know, get, I'm trying to deliver yourself from eating sweets by focusing on chocolate cake. You're going to fail. If you make sin the target and you make sin the monster, you're going to go back to it. You're going to fail. God cut you off from Egypt. He drowned all the, the, that was pursuing you. I know that stuff used to chase you and pursue you, but through the baptism of Jesus Christ, immersed in Christ, God cut you off from that Egypt. God drowned Pharaoh. Water baptism, Red Sea, you've crossed over. You're in a different land now. Your citizenship papers changed. Huh? And, 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 you, you, and if you don't know these truths, then you, you will live like you don't have them. You wonder why God don't answer a lot of those prayers you pray because you're, you're praying to God. God will never answer a prayer that he's already answered. Well, so if you pray for the mind of Christ, guess what? You'll never hear nothing back from God because he'll never answer that because you already have it. So today... Before I came to see y'all, I just all this is my prayers on Sunday. You know, Father, I thank you for the anointing. For the anointed one dwells within me. I pray today, Father, that I will yield myself to that anointed one who dwells within me. Different prayer and a totally different confidence, not in me, my ability, but in him. When I go to work in the morning, this is what I say every time I get in my truck and I'm going to go out and meet people and do things. Father, I thank you that I have your favor. Thank you for the favor of God that rests upon my life. And all I ask you today, Father, is that as I stand before people, some lost and some saved, grant favor to them, meet me favor with them. That I may help them and prosper them and prosper myself. That's all I pray. Get in the truck. Go to work. The blessing of God's on me. What if it blows up in your face and you don't have good days? Well, which day you want to talk about? You're gonna, but that doesn't mean that don't change nothing. That don't change nothing. It don't mean God's forsook me. That, that you know I must have sinned. That's how I used to think. Had a bad day, nothing worked, everything. Pfft, I must have sinned. What sin have I done, Father? That's causing your blessing to be blocked off from me. That's all lies. Go to bookstore. You know. Breaking generational curses. How to break curses. The only curse you got is in your head. There ain't no generational curses. So you're telling me that Jesus took care of everything but that. He left that up. You, you got to whip that devil on your own. No. You, 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 the Bible says, I don't know if you care, but the Bible says we have been redeemed from the curse 
of the law of sin and death. The cur- you ain't cursed. I just feel like I'm cursed. Some- well, you feel that way, but that's a lie. Don't confess that and don't, don't live like you're cursed. You're not cursed. Oh, plus, you curse between your ears. I used to pray as a pastor, oh, God, open up the windows of heaven. Oh, open the windows of heaven. Oh, it's the closed heaven over our city. Oh, sin revival. Oh, open. It's ridiculous. Only place the heavens is closed. Right there. Do you understand that the prophets in the Old Testament used to pray, oh, Lord, rend the heavens and come down? That, that was appropriate. That was appropriate for the Isaiah to cry out. I think it's 64.1. Oh, God, that thou wilt rend the heavens and come down. You, listen, Jesus did do that now. God ripped the heavens apart, and he came down. He, he ripped the heavens apart, and he came down. And he left the heavens opened. So you dwell, live, breathe, sleep, work under an open heaven. The heavens are not brass and the earth is left. That's all religious lies. The heaven is open above you. The heavens is open above you. Jesus has dealt with principalities and powers in darkness. He brought them to an open shame on the cross. Well, I'm going to go to this nation and I'm going to do a prayer walk and a prayer journey and we're going to try to dethrone the principality of this city. There again, you're trying to be Jesus. You're saying he left something undone. I read in Colossians where he said he, he removed every power and principality and power on the cross. Now, I understand when you have evil men that yield themselves to evil spirits, that there can, there can be an evil things going on there. But the principality itself has been dealt with. Men can still sin today, but their sin has been dealt with and forgiven by God the Father. And all he wants them to do to be saved is to put their faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross and believe in that sacrifice. My time is up. Stand. Listen, while our nation cries for unity, and I join them, I want unity of the faith unity of the faith when we say the faith we're talking Jesus man when you focus on what he did and accomplished for us on our behalf and gifted it to us that's why that's when the gospel becomes amazing grace how sweet the sound I grew up in a church, and I don't mean this no disrespect, but I grew up in a church that sung Amazing Grace almost, I would say, every Sunday in one form or another. Nobody ever seemed to be amazed by grace. I never heard one sermon devoted to grace. I only heard preachers say, don't you believe in that greasy grace? <laughs> They'd say greasy grace and all that kind of stuff. And any time they ever spoke of grace, it was always in a negative, like grace was bad or nasty or you just want to fool with that, you know. And then they would crack the whip and tell you all the rules you had to keep, which you can't do and can't do this, can't do that. I remember standing before church when I was 12 years old and I joined the church. And this is honest God truth. And I remember standing there and I had just gotten baptized that night. And that was scheduled. Me and my little brother, we got water baptized, and we was joining church. A lot of times they'd do that both at the same time back then, get baptized and join the church. And still not really dried off all that good from the baptism pool. I stood before the church to be received into membership. 
And it took a while to get a member of this church because they read the rule book to you. And I'm serious. And I remember they said, we, we are against the use of tobacco in any form. And yet I cropped tobacco for people that was members of that church who were farmers. So they were against the use of tobacco in any form, and they read that out loud to you when you joined the church. And I was 12. I wasn't using tobacco, but I sure cropped tobacco for a summer job every year for six years. Some of y'all don't know Google what cropping tobacco means. But I, even as a 12-year-old, I would go, I'd scratch my head. Okay, so it's a sin to even use tobacco in any form, yet people and members of this church are growing tobacco to sell to people to use. A 12-year-old, that didn't make sense. I remember they said you can't, they said we are against mixed bathing. I thought mixed bathing was mama making me and my brother take bath in the same water together or something. They used to do that when we was poor. We wouldn't even run a second tub. All right, you get in there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all was all rich. I used to hate that too, by the way. <laughs> they said we're against mixed bathing. And what they meant by that is you can't go swimming with the opposite sex. So guess how I grew up? You, you can't go to the pool. You can't go to the beach. You can't go do this. You can't do that. And I did all those things with the most sincere heart trying to please God and to get him to accept me. Because they said this is the rules. You can't have this. You can't do that. You can't go to movies. I didn't go to my first movie. I was grown. And I went right down here off of Ashley and I carried my, they, anyway, I carried my, my first cousin because this girl actually called me, which was just unheard of back then, but I had come back to God as a 19-year-old and, and, uh, teenager, and I was 19 years old, and I went to my first movie. And, I, and, and this girl wanted me to go, go to the movie, and so, but I was so, so legalistic in my approach to God, and I wanted to be so holy. You just don't know how sincere I was. I just wanted God. I just wanted to please the Lord and go to heaven. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I just wanted. I just wanted. And I went and I got my first cousin. And uh, I don't know, man. She's eight or ten. And I can you? It sounds stupid. It sounds so stupid me even saying it. But I, I brought her on the date, so I could set my first cousin, eight year old, between me and the and the and the girl. It, it shouldn't shock you that that was the only date that me and that girl ever had. But I just didn't want to mess up my walk with the Lord. I just didn't, because I knew what a what an animal I could be. And I had just come back to the Lord after being away from him for many years as a teenager. What I thought was many years back then, it was just a snap of the finger. But And I set her between me and that girl. And we went and watched the Muppets right down here in Valdosta. Austin. Even when we were first married, uh, we had kids. I would not even take my children Halloween trick-or-treating. Now, you do what you want to do. But if your motive for doing it is trying to get God to like you or be closer to him, you really messed up with religion, done a number on me. And I would let my wife leave. I didn't do it but a few years because I got some sense started coming to me. But I was, she would go out that house because she was raised Baptist, and Baptists are sweet. And she would take my little kids to their grandparents and just few friends and family and let them get candy. 
and, and, but I'd sit at the house. I'm the holy man of God. That's God. I ain't participating in the devil's night. I didn't know that we gave that night to the devil. I thought this is the day the Lord has made. But see, I believe that was his night. I thought if you moved out your house after 6 p.m. on Halloween, you was giving homage to Satan. That's what these people taught me. All kind of rules, regulations, and do this. And, and you know what? There's no end to that. Man loves religion. Man loves rules. God loves grace. God loves grace. And I pray when our nation's going through what it is. Yes, we pray. And we pray for unity. But we're not uniform. We're not conforming. We're all to be different. Not even everybody in this church thinks the same about everything. That may shock you. One of the most scariest things you can ever get around is a group of people that all think and dress alike and talk alike and believe alike and 100%. You got yourself a cult there. <laughs> That's when you got you. We are, we're different people. We don't all view the world the same. When I was a paramedic, you have a traffic accident at an intersection, and, and everybody on the, each four corners saw the wreck happen. And when they go talk to the people about the wreck, they, they're describing four different wrecks. But it was same. It was just, but that was their perspective on the wreck. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're describing the same events. But they're, they're, the Holy Spirit allowed enough of that personal to come through. They're describing what they're by the yes, breathed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God. Amen. So I pray today, watching, listening, here, man, you don't know Christ. Put your faith in Him. He's forgiven you. He's not mad with you. That's the good news I'm trying to tell you. And just trust in the sacrifice to save you. Put your faith in the person, Jesus. And then when you mess up, you, you will. Don't focus on that. The hardest thing for me to learn was when I sinned, I used to just wallow in my sin for days. I'd beg God a hundred times to forgive me of that sin, depending on the level of seriousness I thought it was. And, and I never did feel instant better. Why? Because I'm bemoaning something he's already dealt with. Now you know what I do if and when I sin, and I do sin. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. But when, but when I do, it bothers me. I'm hurting a person. I, I, I'm not breaking a rule. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that example. I don't want to go off. On, I don't want to be that guy. And so I'll talk to God about it. But, but what I'll do now, instead of confessing my sin, I confess my righteousness in that moment. Okay, I, man, I feel like dirt. Man, God, I can't believe I acted like that or said that. I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteous of God in Christ. I got to get back on focus here. I got to get back to my true identity. That's not who I am. That's not what, no, no, that's not me. That's not me. That's the old me. That's the old me coming out. This, no, I got to get back home. And, and I began to confess, instead of confessing my sin, I confess my righteousness. That'll put you back on track quick. And then you'll live true to who you really are on the inside. Amen. I love you. In Christ Jesus, I love you. Go and be blessed today. All right. Bless you. We love you.